you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Let me add one announcement. Uh, I think this is filtered through the Sunday school classes, but next week, uh, obviously, is the men's retreat. So since we have a men's retreat, we're going to have a split Sunday school. There's going to be a combined women's Sunday school that will meet in the fellowship hall, and then a combined men's Sunday school class for those of the men uh, that don't go on the retreat that will meet in the gathering place. So uh, please make note of that. Um, I hear a little cheering from those of you who thought you were teaching Sunday school next week but aren't now. Um, So women will meet uh, next week in the fellowship hall, men uh, in the gathering place. Uh, John also mentioned we have a few extra slots for the men for the men's retreat. We'd love to have you come uh, come on that. I think it's going to be a great time uh, next weekend. Um, so please uh, make plans to come if you can. You can call the church office or, or sign up online uh, as well. Mark chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> and when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you now would teach us from your word. Lord, you would expose the greatest need that we have, and that is the need for the forgiveness of sins, the need for you to take away the condemnation that we have because of sin. And Lord, it would put all of our earthly and temporal needs into perspective, and that we would yearn for you, yearn for a deeper relationship with you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the morning of August the 29th of 2005, Hurricane Katrina slammed into the Gulf Coast area, the eye of the hurricane crossing into Biloxi and Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. In 2005, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, doing a college ministry, And over the next couple of years, we took five different trips down to Bay St. Louis and Biloxi. We sort of adopted those two towns as a mission field for us because of all the great need that was there. I I imagine many of you went down to help there as well. During those five trips, the things that we did kind of changed over time. The first time we went was two months after the storm had hit. So really what they needed at that time was clearing the roads, (laughs) cutting cutting up trees to get them out of the road so emergency personnel could get through, or, or getting limbs off houses. That was kind of first order of business. The next couple of trips that we made, we did what's called mucking out houses, uh, which uh, we did pretty much what it sounds like we did. We went into houses that had been flooded, everything was ruined, and so we just cleaned it all out. We mucked it out, as they called it. Everything was to be trashed, 
just so that they could start the rebuilding process. And the last couple of times we met, we went, it was a little bit more specialized work. We did some minor electrical work, or we um, built a shed for people to store things, or we put roofs back on houses, um, all number of things. I think there's even still projects that are going on even now in that region. We worked, the last four trips that we went, we worked through a church called Lanyap Presbyterian Church that had been planted about two weeks after the storm hit, planted for the very purpose of helping the people in this community. They converted an old pool and spa depot into a church. <laughs> they took this warehouse that had been destroyed, they fixed it up, and that's where they had Sunday worship. And all around this warehouse, they built bunkhouses and really, after a time, became a well-oiled machine of inviting student and church groups down to send them back out into those communities and to help rebuild. One thing I'll never forget from those trips is the pastor at that church each time he would gather all the leaders before we started our work the following day, and he would say, while you're here, you're going to meet a lot of needs. You know, these people have a lot of needs. A lot of physical needs you'll be able to do something about. You'll be able to put a roof on their house. You'll be able to clean out and, and all that. And all that's great. That's, that, for, for the most part, is why you're here. But don't forget that these people have spiritual needs as well. They want to tell you their story. They want to talk to you. Don't forget, if you have an opportunity to share the gospel, share it. Don't let your desire to hammer another nail into a board and put another shingle on a roof keep you from sharing and from exposing to them the greatest need that they have, which is the forgiveness of sins that can only be found in Christ. You're going to meet a lot of physical needs, but they have spiritual needs which are far more important than those physical needs. See, Jesus is trying to expose that very truth into the lives of the people that he's talking to right here. The man is paralyzed. So the obvious physical need that he has is he don't want to be paralyzed anymore. And his friends have brought him because they think that Jesus can heal him of this infirmity. But Jesus says, that's important, but that's not what's most important. That, that's, a, that's an issue that you have, sir, but your biggest need is me. Your biggest need is forgiveness of sins, and I'm the only one that can, that can provide that for you. The greatest need that we have here today is that you are condemned by your sin, and you will go to hell apart from Jesus Christ. That's the greatest need you have because that's the only eternal need that you have. You need to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus is exposing that as he goes through, and he goes through this story and talks to these people. First, we see from this story... There are those here that see their need for Jesus. They know that they need him. That's point number one. Jesus, if this, I hope this doesn't sound irreverent. I don't mean it so. I mean it to prove a point. Jesus has achieved basically rock star status at this point. <laughs> he can't go anywhere without being mobbed by everyone. He, he, he goes into this house to talk to some people, and then everybody else crams their way in. Okay? He has been doing things, words getting around about all his abilities and his healings, and so everywhere he goes, he's mobbed by, by a great group of people. Some people have come that day because they're just curious. Very similar to what when Jesus feeds the 5,000. For the next few days, people are following Jesus around. And finally, he turns to them and says, you just want me, you're just following around to see if I'm going to provide for you this really cool meal like I did the other day. You're not really coming to me because of what I can really do for you. There are some people that want to see Jesus. They've heard rumors They've heard the things that he can do. Let, now let me go see for myself. They just want to be wowed by him. Not really seeking him for the forgiveness of sins. But some have come like these five men, the four friends and then the one paralyzed man. 
They know that Jesus can do something miraculous in their life. So his four, four friends take the paralyzed man, they try to go into the front door, but they can't. Okay, it's too crowded. So they walk up the side of the house onto the roof. It was most likely a flat roof. Verse 4, it says they, uh, they removed the roof. What it really means is they unroofed the roof, is what that word actually means there. They probably took a shovel. It was probably made of packed clay and dirt, and they just dug a hole for themselves. And they dropped the man down below to have an audience with Jesus. These men are proving their faith by their actions. So these men go to great lengths to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. And what does Jesus immediately say? He said he saw their faith, but then the next thing he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's like, well, thanks, Jesus, but that's not really why we came. <laughs> that we, uh, we wanted you to heal our friend. Did you misunderstand what, why we had come? It's almost like Jesus' comment seems out of place. It's, that's not why they were there. They were there so their friend would not be paralyzed anymore. But with this comment, Jesus is saying, this man's greatest problem is not physical, it's spiritual. Your greatest problem in this life is not physical, it's not your money, it's not all these other things. Your greatest need and the greatest problem that you have is your sinfulness. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them here. This man's physical ailments and our physical ailments, it's not that they're insignificant, it's that they're not your real need. And he's asking us to consider what is the greatest need that you have in life? What is it really? It's your sin, but what do you think it is? And often those won't match up. So this morning, would you examine your faith in Jesus? Why do you think you need him? Do you think you need him so he'll give give you all the things that you have always wanted? That he would make things a bit easier for you? That, That life has been tough lately and I sure wish he'd make things fall into place? Is that why you think you need him? Or do you need him because not only you need your sins forgiven, you need him every day. Pick me up, Lord. Assure me of your love again. Assure me of my salvation and eternity with you. Why are you here today? Are you here to praise and worship your Savior? Are you thinking that you might come here today, earn some points with God, and then he's going to owe me? Then he's going to do some things for me like I've always wanted him to. What is your faith in Jesus all about? Is it about him or is it really about you? Jesus is exposing the deepest and greatest need of everybody there, and he's doing it in this example with this man. You know, for any of you who have had kids, I think this point becomes a little bit more real. We have, we have two little boys, and they're little right now, so there's, they have a lot of needs, <laughs> and we can provide a lot of needs for them. We feed them and clothe them and comfort them and and do all manner of things for them. We can provide their needs. But the greatest need that Nathan and Miles have, my two sons, I cannot provide that for them. I can't save them from their sins. I can tell them about Jesus. I can pray for them. I can have conversations with them, and I need and ought and and should do all those things. (coughs) But I can't save them. I can pray for their salvation, but I can't meet that need. Only Christ can. There are those in this story that see their need for Jesus, and there's also those in this story that don't see their need for Jesus. Jesus has just declared that this man's sins are forgiven. And the scribes are questioning in their heart about Jesus. Who is this guy? He's saying that he can forgive sins. This is, and if Jesus were a mere man, 
They would have every reason to accuse him of blasphemy as they do. Christ is claiming to have the power that only God can. He said, I can forgive sins. And if it's true that only God can forgive sins, then what is Jesus saying about himself? I am God. He's claiming divinity in their presence, which if he's not, then they had every reason to be upset with him. These men do not say this to Jesus. It says they're fuming about it in their hearts. They're thinking poorly of him. And so what does Jesus say in response in verse 8? Why do you question these things in your heart? He sees what they're fuming about internally. They don't externalize any of this. Matthew's account of the story says, why do you think evil? He, he knows what they're thinking. This is not just a group of men who disbelieve Jesus. They're coming intentionally disbelieving and intentionally being upset and angry with them. They have their law-keeping, they have their religion, they have no use for Jesus whatsoever. They think that they can actually save themselves and they have no need for this Messiah who they should have been looking for. <coughs> we are just often, we are very often just like the scribes and the Pharisees. We want to trust in me, I want to trust in myself, I don't want to trust in anything outside of me. It's the curse of the American mindset. Work a little harder, focus a little bit more, you can do it. It's all within your reach and your ability. And so we apply that then to our salvation. <clears throat> um, a few years ago when uh, Lauren and I were living in Birmingham, uh, I was at Target picking up some groceries. And as I was heading into the, uh, to the checkout aisle, there he was. <laughs> this little boy, probably four years old, having a colossal temper tantrum meltdown. The one where you're lying on the ground and banging your feet and fists and head on the ground because you hadn't got what you wanted. And I did what any good, noble, moral person would do. I stood and watched. It, it's one of those things you just can't take your eyes away from when that happens. Uh, unfortunately, I've been on the wrong end of that sometimes too. But um, <clears throat> this kid's having a meltdown because he has not gotten what he wants. And he's scream, screaming about it for all of Target to hear about. What did the kid need? The kid didn't need his mother to say, Honey, okay, just please stop. You can have whatever you want. No, he didn't need that. He needed a lot of things. <laughs> his mom grabbed him, sternly put him into the basket, <laughs> and they went out. He wanted a parent that just gave him everything that he wanted. That you were here at my beck and call, you should just do whatever I want, okay? But what, that's what he wanted. What he needed was a parent that said, no, 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 that is not how we act. This is not what you do. This, is not going to, this behavior is not going to be rewarded in any way. You know, often we come to Jesus in the same way. Maybe we don't throw temper tantrums like this child did. But we think, just do what I want. I know what's best. I know what's going to be the best thing for my life. Lord, would you just give me the things that I want and everything will be okay. But that's not the kind of God that we need nor is it the kind of God that we have. The greatest need in our life is the forgiveness of sins. It's just like when we look into our culture. <clears throat> we think if, if we could just get rid of all the abortion clinics, if we could just not have laws that, that say same-sex marriage is okay, that's the problem with what's going on right now. That's not the problem. It isn't the problem at all. It's the symptom of the problem. It's just like when you're running a fever. Your fever is not your problem. Your fever is your body telling you that you have a problem. <laughs> Maybe I ought to go see the doctor. Maybe I ought to take some medicine. Maybe I ought to stay off my feet for a few days. There's symptoms of the issue. 
The culture's issue is that it doesn't know Christ and it's dead in its trespasses and sins. All that stuff would come later if they had their sins forgiven and they had a relationship with Christ. It's not that those things don't matter. That's not the point. But it's not the greatest need that we have. Your friends and family members, the person that lives across the street from you that's not a Christian, their greatest need is not that you need to tell them that they're living a moral life. That's not what they need. They need to know about Jesus. Then the immoral life will begin to fix itself. We need Christ. Are we explaining Christ to people? Lastly, our greatest need is Jesus. The crucial point of the confrontation between Jesus and the teachers of the law comes in verse 9. It says, which is easier to say the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? You know, there's a sense in which it's easier for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven because, well, how how could anybody prove that? (laughs) He could just kind of say that and that would be all. And if he said, I have the power to heal this man, well, what would obviously have been said back to him? Prove it. Okay, if if you say you can do this, why don't you prove it to all of us? Jesus could make the claim, but no one could verify it. And so Jesus says, so that you know that I actually have the power to forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man. Therefore, validating everything that I've said about myself, the fact that I read your minds, can normal people do that? No. The fact that I can, I can heal somebody of their infirmity, only someone who's divine, only the Son of God could do that. I'm proving to you who I am. Does it work for the Pharisees? No, it doesn't because they don't see their need whatsoever. Jesus does these things in their presence, but yet they still choose to have unbelief. (laughs) But weren't they waiting for a Messiah? Weren't the, the scribes and the Pharisees awaiting a Messiah to come and do these things? Yes, but Jesus had taken all the focus and importance off of the Pharisees, and they didn't like it. Their pride is hurt. Jesus had rendered their social status completely irrelevant. People were now flocking to Jesus to be taught, flocking to him to learn and to understand, and no longer to the Pharisees. The scribes were revered in their community, and Jesus is now marginalizing their importance, and they're angry, so they don't want to have anything to do with him and listen to him in any way, shape, or form. The scribes didn't see their need at all. They wanted religion, but they didn't want Jesus. They wanted their law-keeping. They liked that, but they didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They wanted power and prestige. They wanted to have a relationship with God, but they didn't want to do it through Jesus. They didn't see their need for a Savior, and so they saw no need for this Jesus. Do you see that you have a need? Not just that you had a need for the forgiveness of sins, but that you have a continued need for Him, that He meets all of those things. This doesn't go over well, of course, with our culture today. You can believe in God all you want. You can believe in your morality all you want. But the minute you say that you believe in Christ and that he's the only way to God, that's where people will close off the conversation. That's the offensive part. And we're saying that only through Jesus can we have the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus uses this man's paralysis as an explanation of every single one of our spiritual problems. You have a sin problem. And you can't do anything about it. The man's greatest problem was not that he was paralyzed, as I've said. Just as your greatest problem in this life is not that you don't have enough money to do the things that you want. It has nothing to do with that you're not happy enough. You just need a new job. You just need a new spouse. You just need this. Those aren't going to fix things. It may fix things for that long with your satisfaction. Your greatest need is Christ. 
We all have needs in our life. The five men that came to Jesus this day, they misunderstood what their greatest need was, but they did have faith. The scribes didn't think they had a need at all. The five men had faith in Jesus, but it needed to be deepened. The scribes had no faith in Jesus at all and found him unnecessary. The five men were shocked at how much more Jesus could do for them. The scribes were shocked that this man before them was claiming to be God. The five men walked away amazed, glorifying him. The scribes walked away angry and trying to devise a plan to kill him. Jesus was identifying himself as God, and the teachers and the scribes wanted nothing to do with him. <coughs> Laura and I knew a girl uh, back in Birmingham uh, named Laura Black. Laura, and I, I can't remember her husband's name. It, it, it left me this morning in first service, too. But Laura, in 2007, was diagnosed with breast cancer while she was also pregnant with her third child. And she was uh, an amazing woman of faith. Sp- heard her speak on several occasions about, quite frankly, just very candidly about how hard it was to believe in Christ while also dealing with these things that she just didn't want to deal with. It was hard for her. Sadly, in the summer of 2012, she died of breast cancer after battling with it for five years. She was survived by her husband and her three children. She wrote a Caring Bridge site that I remember reading uh, some of her posts that she had on there for the last three months of her life. They also were very candid. She would talk about her prayers as she pleaded with the Lord, Lord, please heal me of this cancer, please. I want to grow old with my husband. I don't want anybody else to grow old with him. I want to raise my kids. I don't want anybody else to raise my kids. Please, Lord, take this from me. And he didn't. He didn't take that need that she had. God didn't take it away from her. But anybody that knew Laura, they know for certain that that woman had her sins forgiven in Christ. It's hard to imagine a a woman of stronger faith in the face of what she faced than her. It's hard to imagine it. Her greatest need in life had been met. Her only eternal need had been met in Christ. Everything else is not promised. Your ease is not promised. Your health is not promised. Your security is not promised. Your comfort is not promised. But what is promised is, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ on that last day, he will look at you and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that he's going to say that to you on that last day? You're not condemned, not because of you, not because of anything that you believed, but because of Jesus only and that he forgave you of your sins. Do you believe that? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're skeptical, first of all, we're very glad that you're here. But don't you see, we haven't gathered here this morning to talk about how great we are and how we, how we live these wonderful moral lives and to brag to one another about how the things that we've done. No, we're here because of Jesus. We're here because of what he has done. We've gathered here to praise and honor him, not to talk about ourselves. Don't you see that? And for us that do know Christ, do you need to be reminded again of all that he's done? If we fast forward 12 chapters to Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's pleading, God, Father, if it be your will, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But not my will, let your will be done. He's pleading with the Father to not have to go through the cross. And what does Jesus say, excuse me, what does God the Father say to the Son? No. You have to go through this. You have to drink the cup of suffering. 
You have to do all this, otherwise no one is saved. You have to do this. And so Christ did. He did it for you and he did it for me. Because obviously Christ knew that our greatest need was that he would go to the cross and pay for these sins. So what do we do? How do we respond? Does it mean that all our other needs in life don't matter? Not, not at all. And I hope you haven't heard me say that. But it does mean that the fact that he has met your greatest need in Christ, your only eternal need, it's got to put those others in perspective. It's got to. You know, we often jeer at someone like Joel Osteen when he writes a book such as Your Best Life Now. We scoff at the book because we know theologically that it's wrong. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd take it. You'd take your best life. God said your best life now, but your eternal security is it's not secure anymore. Comfort, ease, money, fame, and glory, we take it. We actually really want our best life now. We want our material blessings. We all know these good things. We want it today, and we want it now. We take the bet. Christ has met your greatest need. It doesn't mean your temporal needs are unimportant. It just means that everything else that really matters has already been taken care of. No, you may not receive healing, but one day you'll be perfectly healed. No, it means that war and, and, and unrest are going to be part of your life right now, but one day there'll be ultimate peace. He's not going to take away all your sadness. He's not going to take away all your discomfort, but one day there'll be perfect joy and happiness forever. Let the promises of eternity put the present into perspective and give you hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that is when you loved us in Christ. When we didn't want to have anything to do with you, that's when you loved us, and that's when you saved us. You have met our greatest need, O Lord, and that we would put our trust in Christ because of that. We do pray that you would provide for us. You would take care of our earthly needs. We have many needs. Lord, thank you ultimately for what you did on the cross because that gives us great hope and joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.